We in our individual society where it's all about me equate fear with being a really negative thing because fear's not fun. Do you know fear is actually sometimes a really good thing? If you're afraid of running through traffic, that's probably going to keep you from getting hurt by running through traffic. If you're afraid of a bear eating you when you're hiking, you may be more aware of your surroundings and pay attention and when a bear comes, be prepared to scare it away or run away or do what you need to be safe. Fear can keep us from harmful practices, but it can also keep us living in shameful places. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's this commandment from the Lord in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It says this, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Later in the New Testament, this same command is repeated, but a little bit differently. It says this is the only command that's given with a promise. A promise from God that if we do this, something good happens. Honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you. Today, as we continue in worship, we're going to continue with a time of confession, and we're going to take some time to pray about the ways that we have dishonored our mothers and our fathers, the ways that we haven't been the fathers worthy of honor. We're going to pray about what this looks like for us and for God. And then in turn, we're going to pray together with one voice, a confession we pray on a regular basis. And this confession is one that is based on things found in Scripture. The confession itself is not. But it's to remind each one of us that whether it's breaking this commandment or any of the other Ten Commandments, or for that matter, all of God's Word, you and I are, by very nature, broken, sinful people. Thankfully, we have a God who's filled with grace and has promised that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all of our sins. Will you join me now in this time of prayer? God, we come before you. We thank you for dads. God, we thank you for dads who are present, for dads who are engaged for dads who care, who teach us right from wrong, for dads who teach us how to live with you. God, we thank you for these dads that you have given to us. We also confess that we do not always honor our fathers and mothers. God, we confess that at times we intentionally disobey them, we speak ill of them, 
We hold grudges for the ways they didn't do things right or the ways we wish they would have done things differently. God, we confess that some of us struggle to forgive our fathers for the ways that they've hurt us, for the sin they've committed against us. We've held it against them for all this time. God, we confess where we as dads, as mothers, as men and women have failed to honor your commandment, where we failed to live as dads who walk with you. God, we confess that we need you, our good Father, to pour out your spirit upon us that we can be who you made us to be. So God, as we confess all these sins and we join together with one confession, may you hear our prayer. And now we say, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. God has promised to his church that we are forgiven when we confess our sins. So as a called and ordained servant of Christ by his power and on his behalf, I forgive you today all of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, church. It is so fun. Uh, I was telling Emily earlier this morning that I walked in to get something that I had, to, uh, I had forgotten to set up, and I, I walked in, and there was a whole bunch of chatter, people talking, and this was like 10 minutes before the service, and it was incredible because people were here 10 minutes early and were talking, and I love that. Now, I love being here with all of you looking out and seeing you and talking to you week after week, but what if I told you today None of this matters. Like, honestly, why did you get up and join me today? Because, unfortunately, in America, what we think of as church often is this. Sitting, passively listening while somebody else performs or does or speaks, or you learn and you gain and then you go home. And that's it. But what if that's not what church is? What if that's not what it means to be Christian? You go to church on Sundays and you sometimes pray and and sometimes do the right thing. What if being Christian is about being altogether different? I have to warn you, what we read in Scripture today is perhaps the most un-American thing I can ever preach. And here's why. You and I, if you were born and raised in the United States of America, were raised in a culture that tells us it's all about who? You. Me. Not us. Certainly not us. Because what you want doesn't matter nearly as much as what I want. It's all about me. In fact, our very founding fathers established this nation with a goal, what could happen if the individual is given 
the authority. If the individual has rights and the individual is lifted on high and this country was established that you and I could make it all about me. And unfortunately, the church has followed suit. Collectively, we have acquiesced to say, it's all about you, and it's all about me. And so we go to a church that we like because I feel fed, but we don't participate or serve or give. We go to a church that we like because the music's on point and really great, but we rarely sing, and it almost never changes us after Sunday morning. We as the church have erred significantly. And I have to apologize. Scripture is not about you, period. It's not about me. It's not about the really cool pastor or uh, the really great speaker. That would be the other Adam. It's, it's not about anything we're doing here. And if you believe that church is about you, you're entirely missing the point. See, today, as we read in Scripture, where we're at in the book of Acts, Peter, the one who followed Jesus, who had been with Jesus, who screwed up time and time again, gets the Holy Spirit along with all the rest of the disciples and the followers of Jesus at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's poured out, and they begin speaking in foreign languages. And everybody's like, you must be drunk. And Peter begins speaking quite well, using God's word to say, look, we're not speaking because we're drunk. No, God is empowering us to tell you this good news that this Jesus whom you crucified is living and sits enthroned on high. And they're all convicted and moved to repentance and to baptism. It says 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then comes this little insert. Here it is. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. This is on page 11. Uh, 36, if you use one of our blue Bibles. Here we go. After this massive saving of 3,000 people, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Again, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Peter preaches this spectacular sermon, and they're all cut to the heart, what must we do? And he tells them, and now the question comes, so what? See, I think for many of us, we forget to ask that question. We look at the cross and what Jesus has done, we say, that's great, I love Jesus. We think about the promises in Scripture and the truth of God's Word, and we're like, this is excellent. This is so good. And sometimes it's in our devotion, we study and we read and we learn. 
But we never ask that question, so what? So what should you and I be doing differently? So what should we be believing differently? So what should we think about one another? They hear this sermon and then here's the so what. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we now would call the word of God because it was the apostles who went on to write most of the New Testament. The very ones who were with Jesus were the ones who could say this is what Jesus is all about. So they devoted themselves to learning more what is Jesus all about? Who is Jesus? What has he done? Why does it matter? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the community of believers. We use fellowship today in the church in a very liberal sense, and that's not a political thing. I mean liberal in the sense that we kind of throw it around regularly to mean whatever we want it to mean, right? We have fellowship hour, which is really just coffee and donuts, and even then, sometimes it's, it's just for the people who volunteered. Or maybe the church is doing some kind of fellowship where if you can afford to go, you can then partake. Some outing, some event, something fun. And almost always, fellowship for us is equated with fun. See, because you and I live in America where the pursuit of happiness is the ultimate goal for me. And so if it's not fun, why would I partake? But fellowship is so much more than just fun. It is a community that is bound to each other. It is a community that is committed to a cause and organized around the same thing. And sometimes fellowship is no fun at all. Maybe you've watched a few movies and you've seen The Lord of the Rings and you've heard of The Fellowship of the rings, right? This community of people who are devoted to one purpose. If you've ever watched those movies or read those books or a nerd like me, you know it wasn't all fun for them. For you and I in the church, it can't all be fun. Because if it's all enjoyable and if it's all fun, it's pretty meaningless. I don't know if you know this, but life isn't always fun and often it's really hard. We face all kinds of hardships that we cannot and should not face on our own. And when we try to hide them from the fellowship, we miss out on what God really can be doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread was a meal that was shared by them where they would quite literally eat together regularly. Why? Because there were many in their midst who had no food, who were poor and were destitute. And so when they gathered together and they ate together, it ensured that everybody was fed and cared for. But also the breaking of bread went beyond that. After this great feast and this great meal, the breaking of bread included communion, where they would physically break bread and pass a cup in the same way that Jesus did, to not only be reminded of what he had done, but to receive his very promise, his presence with them forever through that meal. They would devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I know oftentimes in our me church that's all about what I want, prayer is really just a gossip circle. 
It's really just a time to say, let's pray for so-and-so. Do you know how they're struggling? Or I'm too ashamed or embarrassed to pray out loud, so I'll just pray, God, you know. And sometimes that's the right prayer. And other times, we're just not willing to ask for the things we actually need or want. They devoted themselves to these four things, and something incredible happens. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In many translations, instead of saying awe, it says, and fear came upon them. We, in our individual society where it's all about me, equate fear with being a really negative thing, because fear's not fun. Do you know fear is actually sometimes a really good thing? If you're afraid of running through traffic, that's probably going to keep you from getting hurt by running through traffic. If you're afraid of a bear eating you when you're hiking, you may be more aware of your surroundings and pay attention, and when a bear comes, be prepared to scare it away or run away or do what you need to be safe. Fear can keep us from harmful practices but it can also keep us living in shameful places. You see, there's two different kinds of fear. The first and the most natural is a servile fear, a fear of a servant and his master. If I do something wrong, I will get in trouble. And that kind of fear always leaves us in this place of wondering, am I enough? Have I done the right things? Will it be okay? Or are there consequences later? And I think for many of us, when we think about God, this is what fear we think of. Well, I just have to make sure I don't go to hell. I just do enough to be a good person. God's just angry and waiting to punish me, we think sometimes. And yet fear of God can even be a really healthy thing. In Psalm chapter 34, it says this. It's talking about the fear of the Lord. And and this is what it says. Hold on, I forgot to mark it. Psalm chapter 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, if you recall, I've said at times in the past, the angel of the Lord is almost always referring to Jesus himself before he came and took on flesh. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God in his full presence comes to those of us who fear him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. See, there's this servile fear that is afraid of punishment. And there's another fear, a fear that is more familial in nature, a fear that is a sense of awe and wonder, of reverence out of the mighty power and authority and even goodness of God. What's this fear like? If you're married and you love your spouse, 
Do you long to do the right thing? Because doing the wrong thing for your spouse would hurt so much, seeking to avoid that even though you know you'll be forgiven and you know they'll still love you, you still desire with everything in you to do what's good and what's best. Maybe if you're not married, you have a friend or a family member that when they come to your mind, you think to yourself, I would give whatever it takes for that person. That's how much I love them. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not encouraging us to be afraid of this punishing God who's mean and evil and waiting to prove you wrong. But it's encouraging us to be afraid of this God who loves us enough to forgive us unconditionally. A fear that drives us to say, I want to do right by him and for him. I want to honor and love because he is worth it. This kind of fear, it says in Proverbs, is the beginning of all wisdom. So as they devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This church, the very church that started everything, that 2,000 years later we can cling to because of what they did, we can still hold fast to Jesus. This church saw Jesus, what he had done, what he was offering to them, what he was promising for them. This Jesus was worth everything. And the community of the church, the body of believers was so important that they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I've heard some say that this is proof that Jesus was a communist or a socialist and we therefore should be too. Stop it, all right? Just just stop it. That's the thing about this community that is so fundamentally different and hard for us as Americans to grasp. This was not a commandment, you must sell everything. This was not a commandment, you must give everything or else. Nobody was taking it from them. This was a deep love for one another. A deep love that said whatever it takes is however much I'll give. Whereas usually we ask the question, how much do you need, not what will it take? We ask, how little can I give or how little can I do and that will be enough. So if we show up on Sundays while I'm really involved in the church, if I give from time to time when it feels right, I'm involved in the church, if I participate in some of the fun things that fit my wants, I'm involved in the church. But what if God's desire for you and me was that we would stop being you and me? What if his desire is that we come as ourselves, broken and messy, to the foot of the cross, and we see all that he has done? And we say, whatever it takes, God, you're worth all of it. And what if his desire for the church was that we would be a people who were so committed to what he's done 
that we would look around and make sure that nobody had need, that everybody was cared for even at a great cost to ourselves. What if that's what we looked like? Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that last little bit. Praising God and having favor with all the people. You don't have to go very far outside these doors to discover Christians don't generally have favor with all the people. Now let me clarify, because this nation was also founded by some Christian men who were partially about the individual, they also thought some Christian values were good. And and so because this nation is such, we have a culture that has favored Christianity above other religions for a long time. And if you don't believe me, why do we as a church have a tax-exempt status? When we as churches have spent billions or trillions of dollars on property, we certainly don't use for the community. We have been favored for a while in a legal sense, and that's changing. But we don't really have favor in the eyes of the community. Now maybe you and I individually, people may think you're a pretty good person, or, or maybe some people think the point's a good place to be, but collectively, the church here in America does not have favor with the eyes of the public. This is why time after time I hear from you, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to be a Christian. How do I separate the two? But when the church lives like this, committing themselves to community, to going through all the hard work of saying whatever it takes to love one another. In the good and in the bad, it's not about me, it's all about him, and he has said this matters. When we live like that, I believe we'll see favor again. And I believe that favor will be people recognizing, I know what Christians like, but you can't be one of them because you don't seem like everybody else. And that favor, I believe, is that it says daily they're added to their number, those who are being saved. I don't anticipate daily this church will grow. But what I do believe is that daily God will use you And me, when we begin to be we and not me, God will use us in our communities in a profound way. And daily people will see you and me and go, I want whatever it is you have. And I just don't know how to get there. And daily we can be hope and light to those who are hurting. But it won't come by just sitting here and hoping. It won't come by just reading and hearing a a message that's compelling. No, we will only have this kind of influence and impact and favor when we commit to saying it is no longer about me, it's about us. And we turn to the people to our left and our right and our conversation is not just 10 minutes before church, but it's throughout the week. How are you doing? Can I pray with you? Can we gather together that we can encourage one another? Can we share a meal? Because in the sharing of meal, there is always 
strengthening of community. If we want this kind of favor, it comes from us saying, we have done it wrong. Forgive us, God, and turn us back to being altogether different. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that fear came upon all who were there. This fear of a family, this desire to be whatever it takes for each other. I ask that this morning you would give each one of us a fear of the Lord. That we would see you for who you are in all of your splendor and all of your might and all of your glory. That you are the crucified one, the resurrected king who sits enthroned. God, in this fear, may we be turned to say it's not about me. May we seek to love our neighbor, to connect with each other, to serve each other with whatever it takes. That every one of us may be found as ordinary people walking with you, filled with the Spirit, that signs and wonders may be poured out. God, that this city would know that you are real and your love is good. May we become this kind of community who puts you at the center, not me. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to collect an offering. And we collect an offering in this place as a means of partnering with God and the things that he's doing, not only here, but through us in the community. A really fun thing, yesterday we went to the annual brew fest that we go to every year, and we handed out koozies and talked to people and handed out waters. And I thought earlier this week when I bought 20 cases of water, 900 bottles, I was like, this will be plenty for this week, right? And before the first session was over, we ran out. So I went back to the store and bought 20 more cases. Uh, It was really fun because we were there not only having a good time, but giving out over 1,800 waters uh, to people who had been drinking throughout the day on a hot day. And so it helped them be less sick. And also, it meant every single person there, including the volunteers that were leading it, said, we're really glad the point's here because water was very necessary yesterday. So when we collect an offering, some of it is so that we can do what we're doing here, and some of it so we can go out and just bless and serve others. And so if you came prepared to give today and you'd like to give with cash or check, you can do so with the popcorn bucket in the very back. You can place your cash or check there along with one of those physical connect cards if you filled one out so we can reach out to you and pray with you. And if you're somebody who prefers to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now every week we invite your questions and we believe questions are a healthy part of faith. So I'm gonna do my best to respond to whatever questions came in today. Yes, Um, quick, I do wanna say, I had a long rambling thing about having hot dogs at this upcoming Wednesday's midweek which is not accurate. And I sliced it all out of there and we're having ice cream. So if you wanna come to an ice cream social on Wednesday, that's what we're having. And I believe Terry's bringing some of his homemade vanilla ice cream. Is that a real thing? It's awesome, yeah, Yeah. that's what he told me last week. So bring your favorite toppings to go with ice cream. Okay, I'm so excited. Okay, what do you take away from Philippians 4 verse eight? I have it. Do you just know it? That would be great if you could just read it, yeah. Okay. 
I mean, I've got it all memorized, of course. <laughs> Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So if I recall correctly in Philippians, he's talking about in that section how to live a life that's the new creation that's different. And, and so thinking on these things, right before it, he talks about um, not being anxious but praying, um, the truth is this world is filled with all kinds of darkness and it's really natural and easy to perseverate on the bad things. And the more we perseverate on the bad things, the harder it is to see the good things. So when he says, hey, think about all these things, he's saying if we actively work, and I say work because it doesn't come naturally, if we work on thinking about good things, like honoring our neighbor. Here's a good example. If somebody doesn't use a blinker and cuts you off in traffic, the natural thing to think about is that person's a terrible driver and a horrible person, right? And it might be true. Or instead you could think like, I bet they probably just forgot because they're really distracted by what's going on in life. Maybe I should just pray they remember their blinker next time. That's a much better thing to think and you're less prone to be getting angry at them and flipping the bird. So think on good things. Excellent, excellent. Uh, what is your favorite Bible verse and why? Actually, I've got several. If you say Philippians 4.8, we know you're lying. Yeah. I've actually got several, but next week's sermon is one of my probably top five. Because what happens in next week's sermon, I won't give you too many spoilers, but Peter and John are on their way to the temple, which they did every day, and there's a guy who's, who's lame and he's begging, and uh, he, Peter says, look up. And the guy's expecting to receive money, and instead what Peter says is this, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, I freely give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the guy does. And you'll have to come back next week for why that's my favorite verse. One of them. Yeah. Ooh, I love that cliffhanger. Okay. Oh, someone said, what's the food theme for this Wednesday? Ice cream. Mind reader. Uh, who did the stained glass windows? I have no idea. So we moved into this building two years ago. Uh, this building was 117 years ago, built by another church who was here for about 110 years before they decided it was too big of a building and they couldn't sustain it and they moved out. And um, So we've been here about two years and I'm grateful for all of the hard work and all of the beauty that they built into the space that we can now use. Absolutely. Someone texted in, can I be baptized at this church and become a member? Yes. Great. When do you want to do it? It will be helpful to know who you are since this is anonymous. Yeah, I, you'll have to come talk to me in person, but yes. Uh, if you've not been baptized, we can do it today if you want. We can save it for next week. Uh, we can do it anytime. If you've been baptized and would just like to uh, have a conversation about how to come back to Jesus after a time away, let's, let's talk about that. Absolutely. The last thing is a comment. Someone really interesting and beautiful and wise texted this in. This is mine. I texted in it. Um, it says, I said, having favor with all the people doesn't necessarily mean favor in the government either. It's true. In fact, one of the things that the early church was known for, and we'll get to in a few chapters in Acts, is they were actually known for rejoicing when they were suffering at the hands of the government. That's certainly not what we are known for, but maybe we should be. Uh, I think that'll be awesome when we get there to talk more about that. Is that it? Those are all the questions. Thanks for saving me a real doozy. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, as you go this week, receive this blessing. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.